Jonah chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. We are entering the home stretch. Now, uh, I will also tell you, we will still get done in here right at 7 o'clock, just like usual. Uh, the e-groups probably are going to carry over. So if you're with somebody or waiting on somebody, they may be longer. They, they, are, uh, they have a 7.30 cushion they're, they're working toward because they have videos to watch. So it, it's just going to naturally take longer for them. So just understand that. But we'll still get done at 7. Uh, so you all get to go beat us to the restaurants if you're going out to eat tonight. Jonah chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. The Lord asked, talking to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry? And notice there's no response. Jonah left the city and found a place east of it. He made himself a shelter there and sat in its shade to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God appointed a plant, and it grew over Jonah to provide shade for his head to rescue him from his trouble. Jonah was greatly pleased with the plant. When dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant, and it withered. As the sun was rising, God appointed a scorching east wind. The sun beat down on Jonah's head so much that he almost fainted, and he wanted to die. He said, It's better for me to die than to live. Then God asked Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Yes, it's right, he replied. I'm angry enough to die. Yeah. Jonah, right? So he's, he, he's preached. We, we covered that. He uh, is not happy with what he saw uh, when, when he preached. We saw the discussion he had with God about aren't this, this is what I told you. I told you this was going to happen. That you're a gracious God and, and all this stuff. And, and God asks him, God responds to him here in verse 4. Is it right for you to be angry? God questions his anger. And this is a quiet rebuke. This is a, a soft rebuke. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a searching question to make Jonah think. You know, God could have, I mean, like really fussed at him about this. How dare you? But if you remember, we've talked about, we talked about Wednesday night, and somebody even brought up the question Wednesday night. Don, you did. Brought up the question, we were talking about prayers of complaint to God. And Don brought up the question, would this be covered under what Jonah did? And that's exactly right. This is a prayer of complaint. And what we talked about that Wednesday night is God is not scared of our honest complaints with him. God's not scared of our questions. God's not worried about the fact that we don't understand something. And if we even get angry about something and, and, and respond what would be very negatively to him. He's not scared of that. As a matter of fact, I think he rejoices in, in the faith that we have to come to him when we struggle, when we're wondering. The, the, one of the prayers we looked at uh, prayers of complaint, uh, or one of the times, rather, that Israel complained was uh, when they were complaining after they'd been brought out to, out of Egypt, and what they did was they complained with each other about God. Every other instance that we have, and, and well, and let me go back, and God said, don't do that. How dare you do that? And, and, and struck down some of them. But every other time, it's them complaining to God about God, and he's perfectly fine with it. That's what we see here. He is, he is rebuking Jonah for 
his his anger, but not his question. He's not rebuking him for for yet. It's coming. He, he he's not rebuking him. Uh, or maybe I should say it this way: He is rebuking him for his anger, the reason behind his anger. He's not rebuking him for being angry at, at God, at, at being angry at him. So you see the difference. It's it's. I'm okay that you're angry, but he's going to let him know that his anger is misplaced. But that's coming. So this question does that. It's it's no reprimand or anger for God. And, and part of that, I believe, is that understanding of, 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 of God allowing prayers of complaint. I think uh, uh, some of this also might be an understanding on God's part that the anger that Jonah had included in it, to some extent, a concern for Israel. Jonah knew who Assyria was. He knew what they could be, what they were as a country, as a people. He understood that they were bloodthirsty and ruthless and understood that someday this could come back on on Israel. So some of that, I think, was there, some of that concern. And he was exactly right. In just, uh, oh, how many years did we say? 100 years or so, that very thing is going to happen. Assyria is going to take over Israel. The very country that God forgave, God relented in his uh, judgment for or two is going to move across, go west, and take all of Israel, the northern kingdom, away in 722 B.C. So Jonah was right. Now, God, knowing what he was going to do in the future, clearly understood what he was doing when he saved Nineveh. He was saving his instrument of judgment for Israel later on down the road. Jonah didn't see the future. Jonah didn't understand it so clearly. He knew the possibility. God knew the absolute uh, uh, reality of it that he was saving, he was preserving in Nineveh his instrument of judgment. That's something else we could look at another time. But again, we just see that God is not angry at being questioned. He just wants Jonah to examine his own anger. And then we get to verse 5, and it says, Jonah left the city and found a place east of it. He's not even interested in going home. West is home. He went east of Nineveh. He went, and, and, and for whatever reason, he, he, he's, just, he's, he's more interested in seeing the destruction than he is uh, seeing his, his, his folks. Now, this is where the timeline gets a little muddled for us. Uh, and it could just be a, liter- a literary device. In verse 5, well, in verses 2 through 4, 2 through 3, Jonah appears to be responding to the lack of judgment. But he wouldn't have known that until the 41st day, right? So maybe uh, this is an immediate response at this point in verse 5 to the repentance that he saw. So he preached on day 1. Day 1, everybody repents. He had planned to preach for three days. It wasn't even necessary because the city repents. Maybe this is just the fourth or fifth day that he finally gets out to east of the city. Maybe this conversation in verse 2 and 3 actually happened as a result of the repentance he saw, the sackcloth and ashes and everything that was going on. That's, that's very, uh, very possible that that's how it worked. This could also be 
uh, a backward reference. Because if we just read it in order, it sounds like they had this conversation and then Jonah went out to uh, the, 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 the hill in the east that he, took, that he looked at. It could be that God is, or the, the, the writer is just telling us, you know, in the timeline, repentance happened, Jonah left, went and sat on the hill, they had all these conversations, and that was sometime around the 40th day when they were, Jonah was expecting destruction. In the narrative, he sets us up for the time he spent on the hill, but with the conversation. Jonah has this conversation, and the narrator then says, oh, by the way, Jonah had left. And that's really uh, how that should be uh, translated, um, or could be translated. Jonah had left the city in verse 5, instead of Jonah left the city. That makes it sound like it's sounds like makes it sound like it's in order. Conversation left the city, another conversation. But if it says conversation, Jonah had left the city. Oh, that conversation took place over here on the hill. He's already been gone. Now, does that matter really? No. Uh, just for you know, Bible nerds who who read the stuff and think, oh, well, see, because there are some scholars that'll say, oh, see, this was a jumbled up mess of a story, and folks just threw it in there. It has no has no continuity. It's 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 bad. Well, in fact, it could very well just be a literary device that the author is using, and probably is, to get us to to the 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 point of the conversation before he tells us details that don't matter as much, or tell tell us the details that do matter. But this conversation happened, and look, Jonah was already out there. He was expecting something to happen, and nothing did. And now we go, oh, now we understand the question. So uh, we, we just want to understand that and, and look at it and see this was not a... or it Possibly, and, and, and here's where maybe I think it does matter. This wasn't necessarily a gut reaction from Jonah. Uh, to see someone repent or to see someone act like they've repented, let me say, does not mean that they have, right? We can see a lot of outward show in people and think, oh, wow, look, they've really, they've come around. And then the next day, wait, what was that we saw yesterday? It looked real, but in fact it wasn't. So I think that's where Jonah was. hes I don't think he trusted the sackcloth and ashes and all that. I think he went out east of the city. Yeah, I see him repent, but mm, this ain't going to happen. I'm going to go watch. Otherwise, if he had believed the repentance that he saw, I think he'd have gone home. But he didn't. He wanted to sit around and see the destruction. So I think this conversation happened on the 40th day. And you can imagine his consternation at the fact, I've been out sitting out here for 40 days and didn't get to see anything. Have any? Has anybody here ever camped out in line for anything? I have not, and I have no desire to. There's no electronics so important I want to buy, no concert so important that I want to see that I'm going to get a tent and sit on a sidewalk for three days to do it. Okay? Ain't going to happen. But imagine that you had. You got in line to, to buy the next iPhone, and you thought, I'm it. And you were the next to the, I mean, you, you were the first person to not get it. Chick fil A does that. I don't know if y'all realize this, if you're one of the first 100 people 
in the newest Chick-fil-A, the new Chick-fil-A when it opens, you get free Chick-fil-A for a year. I don't know if it's every day or once a week or what, but if you're one of the first 100 people into the new store, you get free Chick-fil-A for a year. Imagine being 101. After you sat out there for three hours, four hours in the summer heat, and you're 101, you miscounted. You're like, 98, 99, 100. Yeah. Somebody had a kid and you didn't see it, and you're 101. That, that's Jonah's frustration multiplied greatly. He has sat out here for 40 days, I believe, and in the 41st day, and he realizes the repentance was real. God, I knew this is what you were going to do. I knew you were a gracious God. This is why I want to come here. And then that's when God says, is it right for you to be angry? Yes, it's right for me to... Well, he doesn't say that here. He's not stupid. Well, he is. But he actually holds his tongue for a minute. And it says in verse 5, so he left the city. He found a place east of it. He made himself a shelter there and sat in its shade to see what would happen to the city. So I think that's why we have gone back here and told the story. It caught us up to where Jonah is. He left the city after he preached and he went out and waited. He built a shelter in verse 5. This shelter, it, it, this, this is an interesting addition to the story. He builds a shelter and the terminology, the words used are similar to uh, the, the feast of, I'm going to get this wrong, I think, the Feast of Booths that the Israelites celebrated. And they built these shelters, just like this, out of vines and leaves. Well, what happens to your little bouquet that you build, that you put together, Scott, after a while if you don't put water in it? It's gone. It is not going to hold up. That's basically what he does. He goes, he breaks vines, he breaks leaves... And he builds himself a shelter. Now, I am about to contradict everything I just said for the last ten minutes. Because either he was a complete idiot, or he didn't go out into the wilderness until he was ready to see what was going to happen. Because he builds builds a very temporary shelter. So maybe he did go out there those first couple of days after the uh, after he preached. Or maybe he didn't go out into the east until the 40th day. And that would sound like Jonah, right? To me, it does. It sounds like something he'd do. I'm going to sit around here in town. I preached. I'm going to sit around in town and wait and see what, you know, eat, get a hotel, that kind of thing. But the 39th day, I'm checking out. And I'm going to go to the hill and see what's happening. So he goes and he builds this very temporary shelter of leaves and vines that wouldn't last long. And that hints at the timing, possibly near that 40th day. And he sits to watch. Since it wouldn't last long, God sends reprieve. He sends, uh, in verse 6, the Lord God appointed. Now, we're going to stop at Lord God for just a minute. This is the composite name of God. What do I mean by that? It's... Yahweh Elohim. And remember, we talked about that when Jonah is referencing the God that's going to strike Nineveh, he says Elohim to the people. He doesn't use the name Yahweh. Elohim is going to do this. Why do we talk about that? Because or when we talked about it, why do we say he did that? Because he is getting them to focus on the 
big, number one creator God. In their polytheistic society, he was not naming the God specifically. He was just telling them, out of all the gods you worship, the supreme one is going to wipe you out. It doesn't matter what his name is. Just let me tell you that that one's going to take you out. But anytime he referenced him himself, Jonah did, he referred to Yahweh. This is the first time in, script, in the, the story here that he has used the composite name, Yahweh Elohim. And that's because in a couple of minutes or in a couple of verses, God is going to be uh, referenced as Elohim. And we're going to talk about why when we get there. But we're going to wait on that for just a second. This is the second occurrence of this verb appointed. God appointed. First, God appointed the, the fish. That was the first time we see the word appointed. This time it says he appointed a, a, a plant. So it was vines and leaves. I, in, in, my, in my mind, what I see here is this shelter that's wilter, wilted and died. Probably didn't last more than a day or two at most in the desert. The shelter that's wilted and died, God has caused another vine to grow up in it and around it miraculously, probably overnight, that did this. Large leaves, something that, ah, Jonah finally gets, uh, gets some rest. But it was God doing it. This was a miraculous thing. Fish don't just swim up and swallow men whole. Plants don't just grow up in a vine big enough to cover somebody Overnight, God appointed this to happen. It grew over Jonah to provide shade for his head and to rescue from him from his trouble, verse 6 says. Actually, uh, what it says there is to rescue him from his evil. It's a phrase that we've seen a few times throughout Jonah uh, about their evil and the evil that was coming on them. Nineveh was uh, evil and there was about to be evil uh, uh, perpetrated on them. This same word, now Jonah is being rescued from his own evil. I think that's a little double play, uh, double entendre, a little play on words here, that Jonah is bringing his own evil on himself by the way he is acting. It's not just his trouble and how bad things are, it's, it's his evil in his anger. So God appoints this plant, vines and leaves, it grows up, and look what he says about Jonah in verse 6. Uh, let me find it. Here we go. Jonah was greatly pleased with the plant. In Hebrew, it says he rejoiced with great rejoicing. He was giddy. He was dancing. He was giggling. He was he was a, a child with no uh, no no cares and concerns in life. All because of this plant, this vine that grew up. We are in verse 6. We're going to verse 11. I think that's the difference between those two is 5. We are five verses from the end of the chapter of the book. Five verses from the end of the story. Probably that many sentences, maybe fewer in Hebrew. From the end of the story. And this is the first time Jonah's been happy. He's been or is at least described as happy. He, 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 he's been rescued by fish. And we see prayer, but we don't see joy. He's preached the absolute best 
message he could ever preach, the most effective message he probably ever preached. He wasn't happy. 120,000 people were going to find out, get saved, get rescued because of his message, repent because of his message, and he's not happy. He's happy because a plant grew. He is giddy because a plant grew. Far too often, we are much happier when we get our little itch scratched than we are when we see God work miracles in the lives of ourselves and the lives of other people. This is still, remember, we are still on this theme of an all about me church. Think about that in terms of of us. Are we more worried about getting our little things? Are we giddy because we get... I'm going to step on toes here. Are we giddy because the temperature's right in the sanctuary? Or, because is it ever right for everybody? I mean, if half of us are hot, the other half of us are cold, and vice versa. And, and, and But are we giddier when we come in and we finally, oh, well, it's finally comfortable in here, than we are when we see somebody baptized? If we are, we might have some issues we need to, to talk about. So he's greatly pleased. He, he rejoiced with great rejoicing. And then we see in verse 7, not that Yahweh appointed in verse 7, but that Elohim appointed the next morning. Now, why did he go from Yahweh to Yahweh Elohim to Elohim? He was slapping Jonah around a little bit. He was making Jonah, putting the, him in the place of Nineveh. He was relating Jonah to Nineveh by using that name with Jonah. What he was saying is, Jonah, I'm not even going to speak to you as the covenant God to the covenant people. I'm going to speak to you as the creator God that's above everything else, doing things in your life to get your attention the same way I was doing something in the lives of the Ninevites to get their attention. It was kind of a slap. You know, God is telling, if Jonah was the author, and I believe he was, uh, God is telling Jonah what to write. And Jonah says, and God says to Jonah, uh, don't write Yahweh. That wasn't Yahweh talking to you. That was Elohim talking to you. That was me using a name that should have in some way offended Jonah. Oh, what, what do you mean you're not Yahweh talking to me? You're my God. He said, no, right now I'm the God of the universe and I'm telling you what you're doing what I'm doing is to get you back to me, not not a covenant reaction. So it's it's interesting that uh, that they go from one to the other. Some scholars would say, oh, that was just a bunch of different people writing the story and they didn't know what they're talking about. No, this is God very clearly in his word saying, I use the names I need to to get a point across. And he was getting the point across to Jonah. Jonah, right now you're Nineveh. You're not Israel. You're not my people. You are someone who needs to repent and come back to me like we've talked about. So uh, we see again that word appointed. This is the third use of appointed. So he appointed the fish. He appointed the plant. And in this verse, he appointed the worm or some some uh, uh, Bibles translated weevil. Uh, you'd be amazed at how much discussion I read on what kind of worm it was. 
I'm not getting into that. It was a worm that ate plants. Uh, and it killed the vine. Verse 8. Verse 7. Uh, when the dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant and it withered. Then in verse 8, as the sun was rising, God appointed... Elohim appointed, verse 8. This is the fourth use of this verb. Elohim appointed a scorching east wind. What was this uh, scorching east wind? I'd seen this word before, but I'd never used it. Called a a Sirocco wind. Uh, It's uh, a typical wind in the desert. And that was what's east of Nineveh. Desert. And this was a, a wind that came from the east. And it was a scorcher. Uh, the, not Sirocco, Socorro. No, I've got Sirocco up there. I think I misspelled that. Google it if you want to know the real spelling. Uh, what happens with these winds is the temperature jumps. Hard to believe in the desert, but you, you know deserts get cold at night. And it says that in the morning this happened. As, as the sun came up, as it starts to get hot, this wind comes. And it heats it up immediately higher than it had been. There's a dip in the humidity. What little humidity is out there, it goes down. The wind is often full of dust. It's uh, full of of positive ions. And this is what we know of these winds today. Um, The effects of these winds, it affects your serotonin level. It, It leads to exhaustion, dehydration, even bizarre behavior. It can lead to, uh, uh, temporary insanity and that kind of thing. This is what Jonah is sitting in the middle of with no protection at all. Nothing protected him. And who did it? God. God sent this. Don't tell me God will not send extreme trials on his people to get them back. I am never, and never is a long time, I do not make a habit of ever saying, oh, this natural disaster or this thing that occurred was judgment from God to get us back, specifically done by him. I I don't, I'm not a prophet in that sense. If God ever tells me to say that, I mean, it's going to have to be handwriting and, and a letter in the mail and an email with a return address that I recognize and some other things just to make, so I, I, I won't do that. But this time, it clearly says God appointed this insanity-inducing hot wind to get Jonah's attention. And it, you know, it worked. He, the sun beat down on Jonah's head so much that he almost fainted and he wanted to die. Jonah wished to die again. Bit of a drama king, our Jonah. Oh, kill me, I just can't. Oh, they repented, kill me. Oh, it's hot. Kill me. Now, I, I, I understand how hot it could have been. I don't. I've never been there. Now, I have uh, friends who have been deployed to both Afghanistan and Iraq. Etta's cousin uh, has, has been there. Um, she's a runner. We talked about her in Sunday school this morning. She's a little little loopy. Um, she runs marathons in Iraq and Afghanistan. She's, she's, uh, she could whoop me. I mean, there's just no, no doubt about it. Uh, she's a tough, tough lady. Um, but I've seen and heard and read of the things that they go through over there when the, those desert storms come in and the heat rises. It's incredible. So I understand that he, he might have thought, I'm going to die. But no, no, no. He wants to die. Uh, he says, it's better for me to die than to live. And in verse 9, 
we hear from God again. God asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It's almost the same question he asks back in verse 4. Except he's asking for a little, with a little more specificity. Earlier he said, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah didn't answer. But now Jonah's a little loopy. He's a little sunstroke. Uh, he's, he's a little dehydrated. He, he's not thinking straight. Uh, and another one of the things that uh, I learned about in the chaplain training yesterday with disaster relief and, and I, I think I probably knew it because we all understand it, but to hear it said again, you just you, you remember some things. When someone is in shock after some sort of natural disaster or medical emergency, when, you're, when you are in shock, clinical shock, your, your cognitive abilities go down and your emotional responses go up. You don't think straight and you say things and do things you probably never would have done. Uh, and we talked about a number of examples of that there. I think this is one of those examples. He's probably in some sort of shock from everything he's been through so far. And when God asks the question, are you right to be angry about the plant? Instead of keeping his mouth shut, which probably would have been a better idea, Jonah responds. See, God sets him up. And I don't know if God knew. He's a little loopy now, so I'm going to get him. Or if he just knew Jonah's not going to be able to keep his mouth shut this time. Because now he's going to be really mad. He's mad enough about me saving the people. But he's really going to be mad that I took the plant he was so giddy about. So Jonah, are you right to be angry? And Jonah bites. And he's going to say something dumb uh, now twice uh, He is what he's doing. He's He said it before. He said some stupid things before. But this time... Uh, this time it's really, really off the wall. And he says, I'm angry enough to die. Again, the drama, drama king, right? I'm, I'm hot. Kill me. I'm so mad I could die. You know, and we say that, right? I, that's, that's not an uncommon phrase. I'm, usually it's, I'm so mad I could kill somebody. That, somebody's going to die. But Jonah's so mad, he's saying it, the anger could actually kill him. Well, God responds... And God has the last word. And God ends on a question. We don't get Jonah's response. And we're not going to move on to verses 10 and 11. We're going to cover them next week. But what we see from Jonah is that he wanted grace for himself and nobody else. See, that plant was grace. That plant was God offering rescue. And that's what it says, right? In verse uh then the Lord God appointed a plant and it grew over Jonah to provide shade for his head to rescue from him his, his trouble. That's exactly what God provided to Nineveh was rescue. It was in the form of Jonah and not in form of the, the form of a plant, but it was rescue. It was grace to Nineveh. And Jonah didn't want that for 120,000 people plus livestock, as God tells us in verse uh, 11. He didn't want that for them. But when it came to himself... When it came to just him and what he wanted and his personal desires, well, of course you owe me grace, God. You owed me that plant. I deserve that plant because I'm one of yours. I'm an Israelite. They're not. They don't deserve anything, but I deserve something so simple as a plant. He wanted him grace for himself and nobody else. 
Well, to end with the theme of an all about me church, we we cannot say that we want it all for ourselves. And we would never say that, right? I mean, we would never put those words in any of our mouths to say, this is all about us and we don't want this for us. But our actions so often do. Because we get angry about the plant that died. We get angry about the little thing. And we miss the fact that we're either not taking the message to the masses... Or we miss the joy in seeing the masses repent. Either way, if we're focused on ourselves, as Jonah was, if we're focused on what we think we deserve, we're always going to miss what our calling is to reach the rest of the community and the world. And we cannot be that way. So we've got uh, got a few minutes. If you all have any questions or anything, you want me to clear anything up, uh, I can do that. Or we can sing our closing song and go eat. But I'm open for for questions. Or comments. Doesn't have to be a question. Well, we'll have to discuss that when we get to verses 10 and 11, Stan. He asked what happens to Jonah after this. But I'll, I'll go ahead and tell you, we don't know. We don't know how Jonah responded. We don't know what he said. We don't know if he repented and said, gosh, God, you're right, I... Uh, we, we don't have any... He never shows up again in any of the, the historical narratives, Second Kings, where we, where we learn who he was, who his father was, that kind of thing, how we know Jonah. We don't, we don't hear from him again. So we don't know. And, and I think... Stan, I'm waiting until next week to get on that. Gosh, I think it's on purpose, though. I think, I think it is open-ended because we are to examine ourselves and say... How are we going to respond? We don't get a response from Jonah. We don't get to say, oh, I'm going to be like Jonah and respond. The, the question is open-ended for every church. Are you going to be so intent that everything in these four walls is perfect for you that you forget that you've got a, a mandate and a calling to reach everyone around you? I think he leaves it open on purpose. But I'll talk about that next week.